What's going on? It's CJ Today Slayer from the Upgrade America podcast. This is episode nine. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for watching on YouTube. Please comment on YouTube. Uh, thanks for listening. Rate us on all platforms. Uh, let us know what you think. Um, we had a great conversation. Very passionate, um, packed episode. So hope y'all enjoyed it. All right. Y'all be blessed. Peace, prosperity. Um, keep it moving. Peace. Podcast 2.0. Hop in the room, jump in here. Thanks for jumping in, participating. Oh, go ahead. Do your thing. Yo, we're rolling on our side. Yo, peace, IG. What's up, world? To all our upgraders and our Bitcoiners, this is Upgrade America. On this show, we're teaching you about Bitcoin and how it relates to current events. I'm Cameron Ra. Pleased to be joined by my fellow defender, CJ the Day Slayer. Yo, bro, what's up? What's happening on you? Hey, we here. We got a jam-packed episode. Man, we're talking about is the nine to five obsolete? We're going to talk about recession and Bitcoin. Are they hand in hand? We're going to talk about defenders. Are we introverted as a people? New World Order remix, mass shooting. What are we going to do about this? What would President Rod do about the mass shootings? Uh, Elon Musk buying shares in Twitter. Hmm. Sounds like an Upgrade America prediction. Remix. Uh, and we got some wellness going on. Uh, what else we got? You remember the wellness? Think of some wellness and some philosophical questions as well. But we got a really great show ahead. Just gonna jump into it with a presentation. As CJ mentioned, there's a, a Bitcoin conference in Miami. It just ended yesterday, actually. So the 2022 Bitcoin conference came to an end in Miami, Florida yesterday. It was a gathering of over 35,000 Bitcoiners and Bitcoin-related businesses and keynote speakers. The price for entry started at $5,000. That's a lot of money, but it provided an epic networking experience as well as access to the Bitcoin elite. A few notable speakers included tennis superstar and entrepreneur Serena Williams, PayPal co-founder Peter Thiel, Wyoming Senator Cynthia Loomis, Dr. Jordan Peterson, and the Bitcoin high priest Michael Saylor, the CEO of MicroStrategies. They are one of the first publicly traded companies to put Bitcoin on their balance sheet. They hold over a hundred thousand Bitcoin, and you know they they produce they earn billions as a result. So some of the another speaker who was there is uh, Shark Tank's Kevin O'Leary. He spoke about Bitcoin mining with renewable energy and how it will essentially save the world. While other presenters discussed new use cases for Bitcoin and how to add additional layers of privacy to transactions. For me, I think the greatest takeaway from the conference was the shifting perspective of Bitcoin. So giant retail investors are rubbing shoulders with BTC. Bitcoin is being mentioned in mainstream media nearly every day in a 
more positive image. Major head funds are now backing Bitcoin. Bitcoin is often described as digital gold. This is because BTC acts like gold as a storage for wealth. The gold market is valued at $10 trillion. This produces a $1,900 gold ounce. Right now, Bitcoin's market cap is slightly under a trillion. This crisis BTC at $42,000 per coin. For Bitcoin to surpass gold's market cap, the price of one Bitcoin would have to rise above $500,000. And that's over a thousand percent gain, but it's a small hurdle Bitcoin has already cleared in the money race. Remember, Bitcoin went from zero to $60,000 in less than 20 years. Bitcoin will inexorably dominate gold's market cap and move on to conquer greater things. Keep that in mind. At the conference, Peter Thiel so elegantly explained Bitcoin's destiny is to devour gold and then compete with the indexes like the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. He further speculated the price of Bitcoin will rise 100x, replace gold, and rival the entire stock market. Let that marinate. Like, when you really think about all the gold in the world, as I mentioned, it's like $10 trillion. It sounds like it's a lot of money, but when you consider the, the price of the, the stock market, it's probably like $300 trillion. So, yeah. So currently, Bitcoin is undervalued at $43,000. It should be around $90,000. You do the math. And let's round it up to $100,000. You take $100,000 times 100. Well, holy moly, that's $10 million per Bitcoin. There's only 21 million of these things. And with that type of return, it could easily go to 10 million. You adjust for inflation, and we all know the the hot-winded politicians are pumping it up. Still, $10 million Bitcoin is remarkable. Yet, that's not the cap or the extent of Bitcoin's potential. The last Bitcoin will be mined in 2140. We can only imagine what the price will be then. We don't need to buy an entire Bitcoin at once. You can buy as little as a dollar or, or less. You know, you can just stash it up. And this is the biggest takeaway from my rant, my speech right here. There are trillions of dollars in the world. If the United States rolls out the CBD, there will be trillions of dollars in the world, but there will never be more than 21 million Bitcoin. So go get your slice. So the first person or robot to drop their Bitcoin address in the comments, in IG or on YouTube, I will send $5 worth the ETC. God bless and joy. Over, you, over to you, CJ. Man, there's a lot to digest. It is. I'm still learning. Um... How would this help people in a recession? How do you think Bitcoin? Somebody brought up um, a recession. Somebody I was talking to. How would Bitcoin help? I guess during a recession, or how would it affect a recession? You think? Um. So I want to say I got like a a B minus in macroeconomics, but I do get the concept. If mm-hmm. the U.S. dollar backed by Bitcoin, I don't want to say we would avoid a recession. And 
it's really difficult to think in these terms because there has been nothing like Bitcoin mm-hmm. in history. So, if your currency is backed by a current by an asset that's getting annual three hundred percent returns, mm-hmm. and again has experienced half a million percent growth in less than twenty years, again. It almost seems you would avoid recession, you would avoid depression, and just have a perpetual, in a perpetual slope of prosperity. And maybe I'm just being optimistic in, in that. Because when you really think about what what causes a, a recession from a monetary perspective, I, I guess you have too much. Is it? Recession from having too much cash, mm-hmm. meaning like there's there's inflation because everyone has cash, meaning mm-hmm. the price of things has to go up. But like, I don't know. I don't want to say Bitcoin just seems like a magic pill to fix it. Mm-hmm. Perhaps uh, some economics economists run that, crunch the numbers, and, and see what can happen. But I, I, Yeah, we'll we'll get back to y'all on that. I'm really curious on like the economic impact of Bitcoin now at this point, now that it's starting to become more mainstream. I'm kind of curious like how this plays out. Um well while we're talking about that, um I saw an article on LinkedIn. Companies are experimenting with a four-day work week. Interesting. A lot of major major corporations are starting to experiment with that. And I wanted to ask your take on it. I can speak from my perspective. Currently, I'm a four-day work week. Um, And it's night and day than having a five-day work week. Like, well, nine to five. Well, first of all, I work 10 to seven right there. Because I feel like I'm most most productive during those hours for me. I'm able to sleep where I can wake up theoretically without alarm clock and still have enough time to get up because I'm a slow riser. So it gives me all that time to get up, get ready, get prepared for work. Also, yeah, and then also having that four days off, having three days off of work, man, you can get so much done and you're so much well rested. Now, the, it's, it's a little tricky because you got those three days off when your first day of work is very hard. But after that, you're good. But I would say my morale is a lot better. I don't really think of too much. I'm not as stressed as far as work goes, if that makes sense. And then I seem to have more time to do things if I want to. Let me ask you this. Are they proposing eight hours a day still? four hours a week or are they adjusting like hey you're gonna work 10 hours to there are they gonna extend the day to, to compensate for uh, the lack of the day i'm trying to remember i think did i send you that article i don't know if i sent you the article um it was kind of a mixture of like just because it's a lot of work from home anyway you can kind of work on your own schedule as long as you get your task done so I think just the idea of the nine to five is going away and the four week, four day work week. And I like, one thing I've discovered is having those hours from 
10 to 7 is a lot different than 9 to 5 because I hate getting up early. And then you put me in my most productive space. You got so, tolerance. Yeah, so I think, yeah, well, as far as the times too, because if I think about everybody at my job, everybody kind of has different times. You got 8 to 5. Granted, we got an hour lunch, so that's part of it. But we had 8 to 5. I've seen 1 to 10. I've seen like 12 to 9. It's like all kind of shifts, man. Like 6 to 3. Like, And I think that's awesome because some people just work differently. Um, I think as we predicted on Upgrade America, I think season two maybe, that remote work was going to revolutionize how we do work. And we're seeing the fruits of that right now, honestly. What do you think? There's a lot of uh, thoughts that come to mind. For one, it's like when you look at the traditional work week, it's like, yeah, you put your 40 hours in and then you have two days off in which you must do like all your household chores things and and everything and appointments, what have you. And that may only leave you, uh, doesn't leave you with a lot of time. You know, so if you to have that additional day off just to do like grocery shopping, chores, and, and things of that nature, gives you an additional time to just chill and uh, attend to self self care. So I think I like that aspect about it. Um, as far as you know, remote work, the company that I'm I'm working with, like they did this and they they did it in the summer. It's called like flex hours or something that but we were working additional time and then we ended up getting like every other Friday off which was cool but I think it's uh the notion of having shifts like hey at the end of the day it's like you just gotta get your work done and within this time frame when you decide to log on and get it done I like that idea and Mm -hmm. giving people that flexibility particularly like how you said like Giving people time to uh, stretch and get get ready, you know, to get into work. Not like, hey, you have to be logged in at zero seven hundred sharp, or else, you know, like having that flexibility to have some coffee, do some yoga, and then get to it. I think it's interesting to see the U.S. pivot because they're seeing the evidence of productivity. Which we've yes. been screaming, which the working people have been screaming for decades, like, yo, like, if you give us the flexibility, we'll get more work done. We just need to be able to have that balance to be productive. But so, when you really think about the compromise, and I get it, from a managerial perspective, you want to have your eyes on your drugs, your, your, you know, your, your little minions, like, but in order to do that, sometimes people have to give up an hour of their time on the commute and you know that drains whether you're driving taking the train what have you that drains energy from your employee so when they have the flexibility to just uh, wake up pour some coffee and then not worry about all that stuff you know you, you can get a lot more a lot more done it's a it's a brave new world we're transitioning into. It's unfortunate that, what were you calling it before? The blip. It's unfortunate we had the blip. It's, fr- it's uh, 
for those who don't know, it's a Avengers Endgame Infinity War reference. So when they had their same type of event, just like we have gone through, we're still the going through. The blip. All the Marvel heads will know what that is for sure. Y'all do your Googles. You'll see what I'm talking about. I was going to say I, I, I was going to tweet it, you know, but like I took a little Twitter detox and yeah, I want to pull back and then when I jump back into it, I want to see what transitions that Elon Musk has made to it. But oh, my understanding, nice what place, is, oh yeah, smooth, right? Yeah, that like, was. Like, what did, um, did you hear anything about Twitter Blue? Like some sort of paid Twitter subscription I, service? I see it when you look in your options. Oh, shout out to Pajabi31 on IG Live. Oh, and shout out to... Uh, Go ahead. Who? No, I was going to say in the comments, who was uh, very active, your, your friend, who was very active. Oh, on YouTube, Miss Layla, appreciate the interaction. Shout out to you. Salute. Um, appreciate that. Yeah, y'all make comments on YouTube, on our YouTube videos. We like to interact. We definitely will respond to you. Um, and we have some nice dialogue going there. Um, oh, so I'm going to give you some quick facts on the Elon Musk buy shares of 9.2% shares of Twitter, which is, I think, he's the largest uh, shareholder of Twitter, I think, now. Um, it's he bought 73.5 million shares and then i think that comes out to 2.89 billion he spent what are your thoughts on that man like what do you think his intent was you 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 predicted this when we talked about this what a couple episodes back you were talking about <laughs> somebody talking trash about <laughs> on his own platform or something to that effect so, i mean so then, I mean, it's, it's, it's easier to buy than to, you know, to build it up from the ground up. So I do admire that. And the argument is that 9% is not half. Like, they don't have to listen to what he says. But 9% is significant. So, like, my understanding is he did not buy this in, like, boom, just one day. He bought it over time. Ah. So it's like he did it over time quietly not to move the market. Because you know when Elon Musk does something, he can tank Bitcoin or boost Dogecoin to the moon. He can shoot Bitcoin to the moon. Elon Musk can move the market. There is documentation. Of, there's evidence of that. So he bought Twitter quietly. You know, and then he let, he let it be known. But anyways, if he were to do the, the same thing, like, say Twitter is not in agreement with what he wants to do. Oh, you don't want to do this? I'm going to sell $2 billion worth of your shares tomorrow. Just rapid fire. Dump, dump the whole thing. That will greatly impact... I'm sorry. Will, will, will impact the stock negatively. Mm-hmm. And the skin. And wielding that type of power gives him influence. How do you think he will play it? I'm curious to see how it plays out now. He's already, because he was complaining about free speech and he was polling people on Twitter. That's what we were discussing what, a few episodes back. Uh, I think it's a dope power move. It's just kind of funny. It's like, man, like I look at it like, to be able to do something like that, like you could change something overnight 
we could do that. And I think of all the things, all the problems and issues we have solutions for Upgrade America. Oh, it overnight can be fixed. And it's like, ah. I think, you know, I wasn't very assertive when Elon Musk put out his proposal on how to end world hunger or something. Letting, he was making it a statement because I knew the whole Skyward initiative would cost more than that. But at the same time, getting someone like him involved with that, using technology to cure, to end the homelessness, hunger, and, you know, and plastic pollution across the world, like, I think that would definitely launch out to the sky. Where uh, Elon Musk would be critical is his battery. He did a, he just did a, uh, how do you say, a cyber rodeo in uh, Austin, Texas, which is now the uh, headquarters of Tesla. And, mm. you know, they opened up a, a gigafactory. All this is, is a, is a they just, it's just huge batteries. They're making huge batteries that can store massive amounts of power. For those mm-hmm. who don't know, Skyward is a self-sustained city. What do you need for self-sustained cities? Huge batteries. So it's like Elon Musk is just paving, paving the path for that. Appreciate it. But, uh, what the... Real, one more thing I want to say. Okay, go ahead. About, about this, uh, you know, this fabulous man I want to be my mentor. But uh, Tesla may be getting into lithium mining. It's not confirmed, but they hinted on that. Right now, we're very dependent on China. And uh, as relationships vary or are straining, as the price on fuel is, is going up, you know, the demand for EVs as electric vehicles is it's going to increase as well. So we need more domestic lithium mining or lithium mining in a country that's friendly with the United States. You know, I can think of one country that has lithium, if I remember correctly, that we are still kind of hanging out in. Who? And who might that be? I think that country called Afghanistan. Are we really? But we're, we're really not. That, the, how do you say, that shameful withdrawal has removed a lot of security. For, I don't want to, let's just be straight up now. Like for pharmaceutical companies that were leveraging the abundance of opium in Afghanistan, were American soldiers providing security for that extraction? Maybe. Because we can't confirm on or deny on this show without being shouting. But oh, like, pause, the same pause, thing applies to the lithium. Go ahead, pause please. For a moment. Shout out to the uh, intelligence agencies, this wonderful podcast. Anyway, continue, sir. Hey, we're just continuing uh, our service by advising, you know, the Washington, D.C. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> well, no, I think the same thing applies to, would, would apply to, to lithium. And quite frankly, we don't have that anymore. It's a great withdrawal, so we need to do that mining domestically. I heard Nevada is uh, enriched in, in lithium. There is a uh, congressional candidate that I follow on Twitter. Her name escapes me, but she's in the state of Nevada. And she's big on Bitcoin and, you know, 
also all talking about this lithium and, and some of the big things they're doing in, in that state. But, um, yeah, interesting times in the world right now. Upgrade America. Yeah. You know it. Uh, another thing, so we had a mass shooting recently <laughs> in Sacramento. Bloods and Crips, I found out. Um, what would you do as president to quell mass shootings? What do you What do you think is the problem? Because we both believe in the Second Amendment, but we can be willing to compromise and make some changes that are beneficial for everybody. That is, that's a tricky question, right? Because first we need to acknowledge that there are different types of mass shootings. Mm-hmm. And I, there's probably more than the three I'm going to name one. You have terrorism, right? That's just that be motivated for whatever your, your motivations are. Mm-hmm. Religious, what have you. And they're just going for random people. You have your shooting where someone is upset or disgruntled. What did we train for these active shooters? You have those mm-hmm. as well, right? But then you have the, the gang related shooting is a class of its own, particularly if it's I don't want to say gangsters and cartel members and Mm -hmm. you fall into a combative class you're no longer a civilian if you're under that flag or whatever Mm -hmm. it's it's almost like you're in a militia or some sort of military interesting, I never heard it put Okay. When gang members or militia members or organized criminals are killing organized criminals in mass shootings, like then that's just part of the game. That's part of the game. That's part of they're not civilians. Mm-hmm. You have again, if you have any of the categories I listed before, shooting civilians, then you know it's I would say the biggest type of active shooter that we need to protect against are the ones that involve civilians getting shot. And how to do that? Mm-hmm. I mentioned about the FireNet and uh, mm-hmm. the Upgrade America Policy for the Future book. And more or less to break this down, it's just putting chips and guns and tracking the location of firearms. And it's like... <clears throat> It sounds clever and very useful, but it's another, it's, it's imposing another piece of privacy onto the American people. It would work on keeping accountability for guns, but what we must consider is in all the scenarios we listed, criminals don't follow the gun laws. <laughs> so it's like, you can you can be like and then you must sign your name in blood for legal and then take this class and then get insurance and you can put all these restrictions on law abiding citizens it's not gonna stop criminals from using guns in a criminal manner so like to answer your question CJ how do you stop it more security uh like you need more security armed security but at the same time advocate more citizens having guns because if I can only imagine if someone's popping off particularly around my family and I'm strapped like I'm going to shut that show down and yeah. um, 
that should be the mentality is like, yes, we should. 911, by all means, call it that. But at the same time, people need to learn how to, the, the notion of a citizen's arrest and your 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 duty as, as a citizen to, to intervene and, and stop crime, I guess. Because there's no policy, there's no magic bullet, there's, there's nothing that's, there's no legislation that's going to stop that, particularly if, if we're talking about criminal behavior. So more people have to take the responsibility to, to intervene and, 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 and stop this stuff, these public shootings. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts, man? Because this is your philosophy. You, 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 you taught me this, and I'm starting to believe. <laughs> so, a couple of things. All right. So, so far this year, just this year, there's been 152 mass shootings. Granted, and they fall in all those categories that you're talking about. It's not just like Columbine style, right? It's just mm-hmm. incidents, right? That's first. I just wanted to make people aware of this. Like, it's going on. Like, we just a gun-crazy country. That's what it boils down to. But I think to another point, I think we need to make carry concealed national. Like, let's go ahead and pass that. That's that's one thing. Because now that helps the law-abiding citizens be protected in every state. Right? I agree on the protection is definitely... uh... Mm -hmm. You definitely need the per- protection for the people who are following the um, And I'm kind of with you. It's really nothing you can do except tell American citizens citizens to be uh, have some kind of firearm, get the training, and carry. That's it. I mean, like I said, and then when something pops off, do what you gotta do. Like, you're able to do that if you're in danger, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I'm pretty much in line. I think the biggest thing would be to, like I said, national, I forgot what it's called, but reciprocity, national reciprocity is actually a bill in uh, Congress or the House or whatever that's just kind of sitting there. So, <laughs> but people are trying to do it. Unfortunately, this is the byproduct of the Second Amendment. It's an, it's an unfortunate, how you say, uh, circumstance that, that comes from it, but while it sucks, and it really does, it really does suck, the reason why the United States was able to stay free and we held it down, we pushed back during the pandemic, I'm sorry, during the blip, is because, yo, there's over 300 million guns out there. And big government can't just go in with their collection of guns and say, do this, do that, or else. You know what I mean? The people can say, no, reconsider. And so preserving that Second Amendment is so critical. But at the same time, we have to keep the Second Amendment. At the same time, do our best to, to ensure that it doesn't bite us in the butt. But I think, let me, let me ask you, in the state of Florida, ratio of concealed carriers, what do you think? Ooh. We got like 20-something million people in the state. So, who actually like legally have concealed carry? Yeah, let's go with legal. 
okay. Maybe 10%, if I had to guess. In, in Pennsylvania, in particular parts, I would say maybe two out of 10 people are, are, are strapped with concealed carry. And that's, I don't have the facts of the yeah, top of my neither. head back, and I'm just picking numbers out of my butt. But like, if you're a, an evildoer or what have you, and you know that the ratio is 100%, let's just say 90, maybe even 80%. Yeah. And you're gonna go and rob a convenience store. You're like, hmm. Well, chances there's an eighty percent chance that there's a bunch of people with guns in there. You're probably gonna reconsider that. Sure. Again, in the comments, prove me wrong if you think there's a piece of paper that can do a better job. But it's yeah, all gonna come down to the citizens. Yeah. I do. I do welcome that uh, talk. Um, other thing I was gonna say, I forgot, but. Um, yeah, I think those are the two key things. It's one of those things like the war on drugs, like it has failed. So we need to pivot. Like same thing with this, like gun control, like it's failed. Like, and another example, oh, I know what I was gonna say. Prime example of why we should like keep the second amendment, Ukraine. Mm. Pretty simple. Um, you can drop the mic on that. And I think even uh, there are some liberal people, liberal gun haters who have to agree with you on that because they support the Ukraine crisis and the fighting that's happening abroad. Um, what else we got? So, uh, you wanted to bring up health. Yeah, we want to inject a little health and wellness into there. And, you know, uh, shout out to Nye, my lady. She, she put me on that avocado. Uh, eat I think, like three times a week. They're good for heart, heart and brain health. So, you know, that's always a, that's always a plus. Um, I've been getting into kale. I don't have any nutrition facts off of the top of my head, but I can tell you about my experience in making kale chips. You got to flip them. Yeah, <laughs> halfway or they will burn. But yeah. you know, it's uh, as we age, we gotta eat more green things. And yeah. it's like I'm not a salad type of guy. I do like the juice, but I don't like to clean the juice. <laughs> you know, just buying it is not cost effective. So I'm finding that just you know, buying the kale, put it in a toaster oven. You put it with a little oil, put it in a toaster oven for like 12 minutes. Flip it halfway, you'll get some nice, uh, nice kale chips. I used some barbecue rub the first time, and then I think I used like some garlic salt or something the next time. And it's it's crunchy, it's crispy, a little snack, but it's it kind of reminds me of a chip. But it's in my unprofessional opinion, it's, it's healthy. That's what's up. Um, yeah, I had ladies around me telling me to eat avocado. I like it on occasion. I am a texture person when it comes to that for some reason. Mm-hmm. I like it sliced and like on a sandwich or something. Like for me, avocado wise, like guacamole. Eh, if it's on a sandwich or a burger, I'm cool with it. But like that's it. Like it has to be with something. I can't just. I do prefer it. the avocado sliced. Like yeah. as a snack, like with some salt and pepper, 
on yeah. there and then just eat the slices like that. I do love it on burgers if I'm going to a little bougie burger place. <laughs> yeah, I'll pay a dollar for the avocado slices. Yeah, I agree but, with that. What did you think about, I sent you a clip about uh, Joe Biden talking to renowned journalist, black journalist, uh, Ed Gordon about reparations. What did you think of that? I'm like, I knew he was gonna ask about that clip. Man, he danced around that question on reparations. I was not particularly uh, pleased, but I mean, that's what you expect because as soon as you give a yes. As soon as you give some sort of people are like us are going to hold you accountable to that. And he danced around the question. Um, the the gentleman who asked the question that proposed what was it, fourteen trillion dollars, which I think is it's, wow, this is a huge number, man. Like COVID well, showed us. Experts have said we're like oh twenty million, twenty trillion, not even so fourteen is like light compared to what it's supposed to be. But go ahead. What does that mean? And when, how, did that, how would that be issued out? Because it's like 20 trillion is an entire year, entire GDP. That's just saying like, the American people of this generation will work their butt off to pay uh, 20 trillion. I just see that causing a lot of, uh, of problems. Like the one that we propose, Two trillion, yeah, and that's a hefty number. But we did it in COVID like four times. You can do it again. I would really propose that you don't drop, don't drop two trillion and pay reparations. Drop two, drop one and a half trillion, buy mm-hmm. Bitcoin, pay reparations that way, and then you could then you could pay that number, maybe. But, um, I'm just saying we got we got all the historical examples of people getting paid reparations. We got oh. all these. Yeah. Go ahead. Nah, just one more thing on, on his speech. And no to the Native Americans. Like there are historical records of Native American tribes receiving reparations. So no disrespect, but y'all gotta sit that one out until we get ours first. And. Um, yeah, pardon my interjection. But, okay. Nah, it's cool. Um, well, they also held slaves too. We don't talk about that. But anyway, um, so I just think of all these countries, Ukraine, once again, getting foreign aid, but your own Americans who helped build this country, well, who pretty much built it for free, excuse me. Are not getting what they're owed. So I always I just look at our name all this money. Our taxpayer dollars, they keep acting like black Americans don't pay taxes. We pay taxes too. Like this is our money. So I'm not getting it. So I don't agree with giving my money to Ukraine. I'll be honest about that. Um, it's unfortunate what they're in right now, and they're doing what they're supposed to do. You're supposed to protect your homeland. That's what you do. But why am I paying for that? when y'all can't even take care of us here, especially the black community. Y'all been shitting on the black community for hundreds of years. Like, really? Mm. So I'm just, I'm kind of fed up with that shit, to be honest. I kind of agree. And remember we discussed in Upgraded America, the book, it's just like, there should be some sort of app where citizens can chime in, voice their opinions. When it comes to foreign aid, 
really think there should be a poll from to the people about how much we want to send abroad, if any. And um, there, there's there's got to be a, a, a way to to interject this. Right now, it's just like yo, we feel like helping these people with X amount of billions. And as you mentioned, not much is trickling back into you know the places in America where you need it most, i.e., the black community. Well, not only that, I'm looking at it just from a holistic. This just applies to America in general. Like, we gotta, we gotta get the. Huh? I'm gonna Google this real quick. How much foreign aid we give out a year to all these other countries? I got. I'm really curious because that can solve at least.